stay safe and stay... Ah, no, this is the beginning. (laughs) Okay. So for our loyal listeners who may recall, I have a really wonderful home library, and I like to randomly pick books off the shelf. About a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago now, I grabbed the woman's book of healing off the shelf. It's what it sounds like. There are pictures of chakras and auras and crystals inside. It's like a very new agey sort of book from the late eighties, early nineties. It's great. And I flipped to a random page and on that random page was amongst the sea of words, a word that jumped out at me, disease. But it was spelled differently than I'd ever seen the word spelled before. It was dis-ease, D-I-S hyphen ease. And it stopped me in my tracks. Disease. I'd never thought about the word that way. That illness, in a certain sense, is a lack of ease. It's feeling out of harmony. And about a month later, I was hospitalized for five days in Ichilov, a hospital in central Tel Aviv located just next to Hostage Square, the Tel Aviv Art Museum, and its flagship library, Beit Ariela. I was there from days 97 through 101. I was there sleeping, I think, on the same floor as where Noah Argamani's mother possibly is getting treated. My bed was on Weizmann, so it was within earshot of Hostages Square. And from the evening between days 99 and 100 until the evening between days 100 and 101, there was a 24-hour demonstration that took place there. In the hospital, there were also all sorts of events about day 100, and helicopters would come in with wounded soldiers. When I was there, there were hundreds of wounded to severely wounded to critically wounded soldiers in the hospital. Fortunate in the sense that it was my first time sleeping in a hospital, and I very much healed from that medical illness and the time since, the experience was challenging for me and it was very emotional. I could feel the pain all around me and from the second that the pain started and I began receiving treatment within hours of the onset of pain, I was very much aware of the huge disparity between me and the hostages who to this date and hour have still not received medicines or care 131 days into this war. And since they were kidnapped, brutally, severely maimed, it was and continues to be something that left a huge mark on me. I, one night was just sobbing, thinking about that, that the hostages still haven't received care. And I could feel the soldiers all around in the building, some of them now amputees, some of them with severe PTSD, some of them in comas, 
And I reflected a lot on disease and the lack of ease that so many of us are feeling, even if we're not in the hospital. So that precipitated me to kind of meditate more profoundly on care and disease and health, not only of myself, but of the wider community and the world that we live in. And it also led me to think that it would make the most sense for us to invite a caretaker working on the front lines during this war, which led me to reach out to Dr. Adam Lee Goldstein. Today's episode is brought to us by Zahav Jewelry with one L. Hi, and welcome to October 7th Emotionally Raw coverage. Today is February 14th. It's the 131st day of the war. And we're here today with Dr. Adam Lee Goldstein. Hi, Adam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Adam is the head of trauma surgery at Wolfson Medical Center in South Tel Aviv and the co-director of Operating Together. He was born and raised in Washington, D.C. and immigrated to Israel after high school, where he pursued a medical career. I'm going to let Adam tell us a little bit more about Wolfson and Operating Together and I'm very much looking forward to today's conversation. I'm really keen on understanding a little bit more of how this war has impacted caretakers on the front lines. Look, it's an awful time. You know, ever since this uh, begun, it has affected everyone on every level. And, you know, it's uh, what's interesting in, in Israel is that every hospital becomes a war hospital. Um, you know, Wolfson, we're an interesting place. Uh, we're in the middle of southern Tel Aviv, Cholon, Bat Yam, and, and Yafo. So I call it the Mont Blanc of uh, Israel. And it takes care of a very neglected and elderly and different population than I think any other hospital in Israel. A couple more words about Wolfson is that it's it's... You know, so we're in a very crowded neighborhood with the biggest and best hospitals of Israel about five or six miles away. And so the people who come to us, they, you know, we're a local hospital for about a million people, but it's really the neighborhood who comes to us. It's people who don't have connections to professor so-and-so take me to the best hospital or my granddaughter or grandson work at this hospital. And so it's really a, a group of uh, people from every religion, a lot of uh, non-documented uh, immigrants from southern Tel Aviv, you know, every religion, every culture. Uh, so it makes it a very, very interesting population. And I think it's also a little bit of a lower social economic class. That being said, you have people there who really care and really want to help this population. You know, so when the war happened, everything stops. It was a Saturday morning, as I'm sure you've, you've talked about plenty. And even this hospital turns into a war hospital. Uh, immediately, we went to the hospital. We had to see who was being recruited to the army, um, who had you know, children or family that were injured and they, they were mourning. And everyone went on stress mode. We, we, we stopped everything that's elective that we don't have to do. We cleared out the hospital as best as we can, so we have the most ICU beds, the operating rooms, everything is ready. 
and and we're just and then we start waiting to see what would happen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wolfson is also where Save a Child's Heart is based and has uh, a very strong humanitarian kind of focus. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, Save a Children's Heart is part of Wolfson. It's, a, it's an amazing program that's doing congenital heart uh, surgery for uh, children all over the world, including Palestinian children from Sub-Saharan Africa, East Africa. It's an amazing program. And so, and they also do a lot of outreach in the community. We have the gynecology is doing education and primary care for the sex workers of Southern Tel Aviv. The gastroenterology department is working with all the Russian immigrants and Eastern European immigrants and trying to eradicate hepatitis. And we have the program that I'm part of that I started with my partner of uh, operating together, which was really, it's, it's to bring Israeli and Palestinian surgeons and nurses together, focusing on, on those taking care of trauma patients. Uh, for you know experiences together where they're getting practical training to because the, the primary goal is to improve the trauma care and then the secondary goal is just having this experience together like any two people who start dating you start getting to know each other through experiences and shared experiences so you know i'm not expecting everyone to come to a course for example we give a, a two-day trauma course of atls which is advanced trauma life support which is really the, the basis of any trauma care. We give the official course that you know, comes from the American College of Surgeons, it's an international course, and it lets everyone speak the same language and taking care of a trauma patient. Doesn't matter if it's a poor country, rich country, public, private, doesn't matter. It's the same protocol for every trauma patient. Um, and so we're giving this course, which will improve the trauma care in the region. And then it's also just... You know, having 10 Israeli and 10 Palestinians together for two days. You know, I'm not expecting kumbaya and hugs and kisses. Um, but again, it, it, to the point where, you know, it's just a, it's a little brick in the, in the path. So that means that, you know, well, one day there can be, um, I don't know, a, a resident from a hospital in the middle of Tel Aviv that he just got a transfer from a hospital in the West Bank. And he's like, hey, you know, I was in a course with a someone from this hospital, let me talk with them. And then the patient will get more continuity care and better care. And little by little, they have more and more shared experiences. I recall an op-ed that you penned for the New York Times in 2021 when the conflict in May of that year was going on. And you spoke about operating together and you spoke about your hopes in terms of your future outlook and how this is impacting also the hospital. And I, I reread it this week ahead of our interview today. And I was wondering if, if things have changed, is this, is this hitting differently in terms of people that are part of operating together and the staff at Wolfson, which is, as you noted, really diverse. Is this more difficult in a sense than 2021? Is the is the future outlook a little bit more bleak or is there more optimism than there was if it's even possible to compare? Yeah, look, it's, you know, the, the same thing's happening. You know, we have a, you know, religious Jewish resident or nurse taking care of a, you know, religious Arab or Muslim Christian, um, you know, been back and forth, vice versa. That's always happening. You know, a Palestinian resident taking care of a religious Jewish, it's still happening in the middle of the war. 
And I don't know how many people realize that. And we're all working together. We're all on the same team. We have the same goal to give the best care we can. So, you know, that's going on no matter what. You know, since the war, it's, it's everyone, everything's just more sad and everyone's heartbroken and everyone, everyone is suffering no matter what side you're on. And it's not even about sides. It's more against, you know, humanity versus, versus lack of humanity. And so, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all working together and, and everyone's hurting no matter, you know, where geographically their family is. So, you know, at the hospital, we're not, and I think that's the overall feel in Israel. So inside the hospital, we keep on doing our job. We keep on doing what we do. Um, we're still, you know, nothing's changed with the relationship because, uh, you know, the relationships I have with my colleagues and with my residents and they have with each other is much stronger than any, you know, politics or, you know, it's a disaster of the highest level. But the personal relationships are, are, are what count. And I know this person. I trust this person. They care for me. I know they trust me. Um, and back and forth. And that that's what's going to last. And we're kind of, we're building on that last string of hope, you know, through trauma surgery and trauma nursing who are, are, we're on the front line, you know, every disaster, every, you know, shit storm, every, everything that happens, you know, it's a trauma nurse and surgeon is the first one there. And the first one who has to take care of the patient, we don't care what religion the patient is, if it's a good guy, bad guy, you know, what orientation they are, what they like to do in their free time. We don't care. We just need to stop the bleeding and keep them alive. I'm trying to take that core training and that core passion to to keep these connections. And so, you know, I think before the war, the the project was gaining a lot of momentum. We trained, you know, over you know 250 physicians from both sides. We had a conference, which has never happened in Israel, where you have a, a conference on trauma surgery for you know Israeli and Palestinians together, you know, all in English, so everyone can understand. And like we had a huge, I really felt like we had a rope and it was just getting bigger and stronger. And then the war happened and, you know, it went down to a dental floss. Okay. So it's the connection's still there. And we, we went quiet for a little bit, but I still got messages from my, you know, Palestinian colleagues and say like, Hey, just want to see how you're doing and everything. And I send them messages. So, you know, it's still there and we, and that's what matters. And that, I think it's the only hope we have because if we stop and again, it's hard for me to even say, you know, it's hard. It's sometimes I, I talk about what I'm doing or what we're doing, and it's it's hard for me to like be okay with it too sometimes because so many people have had so much pain and suffering on, on both sides. But I really feel that if we don't keep on trying, we lose the only, you know, piece of hope we have. Because the second I stop trying or my whole team who are working endlessly stop trying to do this, then there's, there's no hope in, in, in my opinion. I'd like to talk about the work you guys have been doing since October 7th. I understand that you've treated some of the hostages that were released and you've been through so much and, and you know, doing trauma surgery in South Tel Aviv over this past, what, decade plus. So I imagine you've seen your fair share of horrors over the years. Could you describe a little bit for us what you've been seeing since October 7th? I mean, the hostages, Wolfson Hospital was the first medical center to get any of the hostages. And we got, uh, you know, five amazing, um, amazing women, uh, elderly women. And uh, it was, you know, 
and Wolfson did such an amazing job of organizing it. And, you know, it was very quiet, very respectful, um, no, you know, no PR. And it really, you know, and the families were waiting in the room for them when they came. Everyone lost it. Everyone was crying. I went into the room with one of them and, and she said, well, I'm so sorry for making you work on a Friday night. And this is after, you know, however, however weeks, uh, it was already, I think it was after five or six weeks already that, you know, whatever, whatever she's been through. And uh, so it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And then, you know, at the same time, we had a patient before the war from Aza that he was working, you know, middle-aged man. He has a, he has a wife. He doesn't have children. He was a legal worker here in, uh, with one of the construction companies. He fell, you know, broke everything, multiple surgery, ICU, you know, almost died a couple of times. Um, and during the war, you know, it, before the war started, his wife actually came to, to stay with him in the hospital. You know, we helped her get past it and uh, to come through the border and stay with him. We wrote letters and everything. And then the war happened and, you know, they didn't have a home to go back to. And so they were with us the whole time. And so during the war, we're also taking care of him, just like we take care of anyone else. And he, you know, he was a really nice guy. Uh, he actually, he didn't speak any Hebrew when he came. He, he was fluent in Hebrew because he was with us for about four or five months when he left. And we organized him a rehabilitation in the West Bank. But it was a very sharp contrast with everything that, you know, personally I was going through and and the whole country was going through, but you know, I don't think the world knows that in every hospital, not just mine, this was this exact same thing was happening, um, and it's normal for us. And it's uh, you know, we see him as a person just like anyone else. It doesn't matter, you know, he got the best care by the best doctors we have to offer, you know, the best ICU, the best surgeons, um, just like we would give to anyone else. And and this was happening during the war, before the war, after the war. So, you know, it's just. You know, people don't know this, and it's uh, and it's for me. It reminds me that you know, this is what matters. You know, uh, you know, just the human beings, and and that's it. Everything else, it, it just it's sad and awful. But if we remember, if we focus on the human part, you know, that's the only thing that's going to get us through. Being on the front lines taking care, it's, it's so challenging, even without a war, you know, it's such an arduous field. And in episode 32, Dr. Alex Ivanchik sat here and she was speaking about epigenetics. And she said that trauma surgeons, their telomeres are shorter, like that there's this, there's this impact of being a trauma surgeon that you, you kind of have a lower life expectancy. It's the ultimate giving. Well, that's what she said. (laughs) And I'd like to speak to you about kind of the motivations and the challenges of taking care under these exceptional circumstances. Look, I tell, I tell my residents to, or my students to follow their passion to residency or follow what their personality is because, you know, someone's personality is to, you know, sit down, talk a lot, you know, deep conversation about the patient, about what's going on. Like they should go into uh, psychiatry or internal medicine. You know, someone who likes to be on their feet, moving around, you know, likes to be, you know, 
in the middle of, of the crap or the shit, whatever's going on, you know, they should choose something else. And, and so you go with your personality. And so, you know, I, I don't know if my telomeres are shorter, but, uh, you know, probably, but, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I like the challenge. I like the diversity. I like, you know, I like taking, you know, it's totally screwed up. You know, it's someone who's doing their normal life and then suddenly a traumatic event happens and everything changes, not only for them, for the whole family. So we're taking care of them physically. We also have to talk with the family and every day, you know, because they can be, you know, intubated and sedated for weeks, if not months. And we're dealing with the family the whole time. So it's actually the family who's in more trauma right away, you know, a different type of trauma, but just as much as the, the patient. And I like it. I like the diversity. And, uh, and like, it's probably a little masochistic, but I like being in the, you know, the most difficult, shittiest situations I can find. You know, why I like it, I don't know. And it's, but it's just, you know, and this is what every nurse and every doctor and every um, physical therapist and, you know, everyone's dealing with. And it's, you know, and I really give my hat off to the whole team at Wolfson and whoever else I've come across at all the hospitals. How is the war impacting operating together? Is it, I guess, it, yeah, I'll just keep that open. <laughs> so, you know, as I mentioned, the, the program is a, it's initial. It's giving everyone the same language, the basic of trauma care. And then we put everyone in a WhatsApp group. And, we, we, you know, we want to make it a first step of, of experiences together, working together. And so, you know, like the conference was the first step after we had about seven courses. And the, we, the WhatsApp group, we have, you know, over 200 people of, and also including the best trauma surgeons in the world from all over Europe, America, Africa. And we put them in a group and, you know, before the war is back and forth. Hey, I had this patient, uh, you know, what do you think? Which I do is very patient centered, you know, just education and how we can do the best for our patients. Because every, you know, I have questions all the time, you know, it's, it's you know, I say, hey, you know, I did this, but maybe, you know, what else could I have done? Or, or I have this patient, what do you all think I should do? You know, I was thinking of doing this, do you agree? And then someone else would say, hey, you know, it's a good idea, but, you know, maybe trying this, this and that. When the war started, you know, I was very quiet for a few days. And then I sent a message, you know, saying, you know, my heart's with everyone. You know, I just, this is, you know, just remember what we're here for, really to worry about the, the humans. And, and that's what our focus is, nothing political. And then, you know, a couple of little political things popped up. And I said, like, you know, please, you know, let's keep it patient-based. And then, and then I just had to, shut it i didn't close it but i just said nobody else can send messages just you know and so now we've been like a month uh, quiet or you know no since the war started so three months four months we had some educational courses that i would send say so all the palestinian and israelis have access to you know online trauma courses and stuff like that um just to help anyone that needed help and you know we're gonna we're gonna have to open the course the the whatsapp group eventually i hope so but you know again it's too emotional it's too close to home for everyone um and so it's not you know i just need to wait but we did uh last week or two two weeks ago we had the first atls course since the uh, since the war so you know during an active war uh, we had 10 israeli and 10 palestinians together for a two-day course uh, you know i don't think it's ever been done since the history of cavemen um, where two warring nations you know on the politically were, were doing a course together and, and it was amazing it was you know there's no politics because you know down deep people know that that 
you know, it's about treating the patient. It's about education and, and not everyone's bad. And you have to remember that, you know, it's so easy, you know, especially in the media and everything to say this side and that side. It's much more complex than that. You know, as, as I said before, you know, I see it as, you know, human, which I, I, I hope and I think is the majority of both sides versus evil and bad. And that's it. So me and my Palestinian colleague who, who's still working hard, trying to save lives, you know, he cares about the patient. He cares about me. He cares about, you know, it doesn't matter if the patient is Muslim, Christian, Jewish in front of him. He's doing the best he can. Me and him or her are on the same team. And that, and you know, that's this kind of the whole movement we're trying to get. Today on Solid Gold. Today on Solid Gold. You want uh, everyone will share his like medical problem, like your medical malady of the month. Yes, that's how you say that. Malady. It's like a M A L A D Y. But when it's plural, it's D-I-E-S at the end. You know, it's like a, a thing worth complaining about. I don't know. Yeah, you want to complain on something? I don't really want to complain about something. I'm nearing the end. That's me knocking on wood, folks. I do engage in all sorts of superstitious behaviors. I've been mostly medically unwell, like dealing with like little shticks and shtooks for the past few months. It's been Stick and Stuck. Stick and Stuck, you know? In January, it's, I don't know. I think it was January, right? Towards the end of January? Yeah, it must have been January. Anyway, my hearing went out. That was really weird. That was really weird, Dor. Like all of a sudden, boom, no hearing in my right ear. And it hurt so much. It was like, I was like Superman and there was the kryptonite and I was wincing in pain. I was in so much pain. I got to the urgent care clinic. I couldn't even stand. I like just gave her my wallet because I couldn't even open it. I was like holding. It was like, I felt like a character in a movie. I was like, now I get it. Now I know how Superman feels when kryptonite's in the room. It felt like someone was knifing the inside of my brain. And I know pain. I've had kidney stones. I have chronic health issues, endometriosis, which turns out the pain it's, it's worse than childbirth pain. And I know that because I know women with endometriosis. I remind you that we are, we are in the middle of an advertisement. You guys are like, what are we even doing here anymore? Where did we get lost here? I feel like I really went down rabbit holes. Yeah, I want to say that it's like the shoemaker is going bet barefoot. That's the way you say it. Honestly, I did feel like that a little bit. I was like, well, this like is Like the podcast is going without hearing. Exactly. Or like without a voice, which happened to me like two days before one of the episodes we did like a month and a half ago. And then my voice miraculously came back. I was like Ariel and the Little Mermaid. But anyway. Anyway, now you're healthy and you can wear. Baruch Hashem. Jewelry. For solid gold jewelry that you can wear in good health and give to other people to wear in good health, whether it's they have piercings, they don't have piercings. Visit Zahav Jewelry. They have an extraordinarily fantastic collection of solid gold body jewelry made in New York City. It's a family business. What isn't to love about that? And no piercings? No problem. Use discount code DOOR24, that's D-O-R-24, for 35% off your order. And if it's your first time ordering from Zahav Jewelry, 
They'll even throw in a free pair of 14 karat solid gold earrings. So that's it. Wear jewelry in good health and visit zahavjewelry.com with one L. What do people think about what you're doing? Have you gotten pushback? Um, you're recently in the States. You know, are you are you getting pushback from people that you grew up with or people in the community here? Or, or how was the trip for you? So look, it's, you know, sometimes even when I talk about what we're doing, it's a little stone is in my, like, it's hard. It's hard because of, you know, but again, it's, you know, so people, it's very hard for them to understand, you know, how we can, do what we're doing in our mission amongst the catastrophe that happened and the continued conflict and all that stuff. So why, what are, what are they saying? You know, they say, you know, how is now the time to try to work together is, is, you know, why should each side help each other now? Why should they, you know, take energy on each other now? All that kind of stuff. And so, and again, I'm, you know, it, it's hard for me too to comprehend kind of what what we're doing. But I, you know, you just have to remember that if we don't if we don't keep on trying, you know, again, even during the worst time of the war and everything, again, we're very sensitive to what everyone's going through. But you know, just a little, you know, we still want to take care of people. And again, it's you know, I I think we have to keep it moving because again, it's trying to grow. We're basically trying to reconstruct humanity from nothing because everything was destroyed and now we're trying to build it up again from nothing so it, it's hard you know and, and again when i was in america you know i was talking to some some groups and it's again it's, it's so polarized on social media and what people especially from abroad see healthcare workers israeli and palestinian you know training and and working together to help people it's not you know not everyone is everyone you know i can't say that what just because someone grew up in the in the southern part of America that they that the Ku Klux Klan represents who they are, and um, you know, and so that can be the same thing for both sides, from extremists on both sides, and and you know, and so it's the point is is that you know it's there's a lot of pushback, but but still it's you know I think you can't argue with with trauma care and helping an injured person, and so no matter how extreme. You know, my dream is that the most right-wing Israeli and the most, you know, pro-Palestinian uh, that would both agree with me, because you can't argue with improving trauma, regional trauma care, and that's all we're trying to do, and we're doing it by because you have to work together to do that. So for me, you can't. There's no argument for it. Well, let's let's not train people so uh, somebody gets inferior care. Okay, let's, you know, God forbid there's a, a, a Israeli in a car accident in the West Bank and he's taken to a, to a Palestinian hospital, okay, just because it's the closest one. He deserves the best care, just, uh, just like the Palestinian in Israel deserves the best care. And so you can't argue with that, and that's a direct effect that nobody can question. And then the secondary effect is these shared experiences together, which remind us, you know, that we're all on the same team and we're all in this together. Adam, thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for making time to meet with us today in your extremely busy schedule. And thank you also to the kids outside that you brought <laughs> along with you for their patience. And thanks to our listeners um, for understanding a little bit of the background noise. But we're all in this together, right? 
Yes, we are. And please, you know, anyone can contact me. Uh, you can look at our website, uh, www.operatingtogether.org. And you can find me, email me. You know, again, I'm here to communicate with you, help you, for you to help me. Uh, whatever, you know, thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. You can edit. I didn't know that for you to help me, me to help you. That's kind of, that's kind of weird. Thanks for joining us on this episode. If this is your first time listening to October 7th Emotionally Raw coverage, we invite you to go back and listen to some of our other episodes. Episode 0, our disclaimer. Episode 21, our showreel of sorts. Kind of a grab bag of the first month. And from episode 32, things kind of shifted. We started inviting guests from different industries for a longer conversation once a week. Episode 32 with Dr. Alex Evenchik. It's about psychiatry and warfare. We zeroed in on Captagon, the synthetic methamphetamine that a lot of the Hamas terrorists were on. With Yotam Confino, we spoke about the double standards faced by journalists. Ben Glieb from the Young Turks came in. Matt Schultz from the Jewish Journal, who's also a rabbinical student, joined us for a really eye-opening conversation about the state of Judaism in Israel in a post-October 7th reality. And also Kanye West's apology, which seems to have happened a million years ago now, and whether forgiveness is possible. There have been more guests. It's been truly, I don't even know how to express it. This all started on October 7th when Dora and I met each other for the first time, sheltering at a mutual friends in the neighborhood. They have a safe room, we don't. He suggested that we start recording that night as a kind of historical record. Things have gone in all sorts of directions since that day. And I couldn't be more grateful for my partner in creation. Welcome you to keep listening as this keeps evolving and to reach out to us. We have an email, October 7th, the podcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram account, um, October 7th, the podcast, <laughs> a YouTube channel and a Patreon account. If you'd like to consider supporting us. We love hearing from you. Your feedback means the world to us. And that's it. So thank you to podcast team Shema, your home for podcasts. Jonathan Gall, Maya Schlesinger, Dor Comet. I'm Amy Sapan. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned.